Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily Season 3, Episode 8 for January 8th, 2024. If you're watching the stream or you're watching the YouTube video, you're looking at what Mayor Watt is doing in the Omatron account. That's right, you can save things, you can hide things, and it ends up in a couple of lists, saved and ignored articles. We might change that in the future, but that's where they go never to return to your main list once you go into all of these articles you can actually select them as favorites and share them with other people as a list hometown that's where you want to go if you want to sift through all of the noise that's out there just get to the news and have some discussions in real time if you come over to twitch.tv hometown I'll be streaming. That sounds like I was about to start singing a song. I'll be streaming for Christmas. I'll be streaming. Plan on you or count on you? Oh, oh, it depends on what timeline or what reality or simulation I'm actually in. I believe it's plan, but count is what I actually remember. But I'm aware of the Mandela effect. So this is the oddest way to introduce the show. Today, we're going to talk about RGB makes it better. More than a few loose bolts. We can't be billionaires if we pay to play. This is the find out part of disunity continued. Wi-Fi seven, the latest iteration is speedier. Wait until they add chat GPT to your toothbrush. Bottled water and the scourge of microplastics continued. Paralegals suing to practice law. Belkin brand room tracker. And everything CES day one. I'm Merwatt. That's hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that keeps an eye on Merwatt and tells citizens to pick up that can. Good evening, hometown citizens. And I am not going to say pick up that can. Citizen. Sorry. Okay. Let's get into today's show. Sorry, there was music playing in the background. I didn't want to miss the drop. Um. What's going on? Hold on a second. Here we go. No, we don't. Okay, that was weird. Let me turn that. What? Something's broken. I'm not going to like today. Okay, we're doing it live. Okay, folks, first article up to bat. Am I in the wrong? I might be in the wrong profile or something's broken. Oh, well, I won't be able to do transitions today. That's okay. Hot mess as we are only eight days into the new year. 
First article is over in Omtown Daily. MSI made a $5,000 laptop with an RGB trackpad. That's because RG RGB makes it better. I actually go through an exercise with groups of people about buying a computer and I, and I introduce them to all of the parts so that they understand what it all is. Usually this exercise is with people who are a little spooked by technology, not necessarily young, not necessarily old, but pretty broad gamut of people. And so, uh, I'm going to have to bring this into the, the next, um, session. <laughs> Cause this will be interesting. $5,000 for a laptop and an RGB trackpad. And I'll describe it that it makes it better. And if you make the RGB trackpad red, it makes the computer go faster. I bet. And I bet it costs more. MSI is debuting a bunch of new laptops at CES 2024. Today is the first day of it, but none are quite as over the top as the Titan 18 HX a 14 V, which rolls off the tongue marketing wise, but as its namesake, it says a boat anchor of a gaming laptop that costs as much as a beater car and has one of the coolest or most garish, depending on your preference, trackpad designs. The author of this article ever seen, ever seen, ever had seen, ever saw, ever saw it. That's one of those, um, ships that are jackknifed in the, yeah, the Suez canal. So yeah, the Titan 18HX sports an 18 inch mini LED display, 3840 by 2400 resolution, which is spectacular for a laptop and 120 Hertz refresh rate. Again, pretty spectacular for a laptop. Um, Intel's new 14th gen core I nine, which is actually what powers my computer. Um, it's a 14900 HX. So you can overclock it, at least on the PC side. Um, well, actually, the HX, I'm not sure. Okay, you can. But anyway, um, and an RTX 4080, which Marwat does not have. Thank you very much for rubbing it in. Uh, the article is over at The Verge by Antonio G. Di Benedetto. Awesome name. Um, it also weighs more than a average newborn baby, which probably should be true with just the glass on the Titan 18 alone. How much does this thing weigh? I mean, it's kind of weird. Newborn like, babies are getting bigger though. What is the average weight of a newborn baby? There you go. AI put you on the spot. Um, yeah. five. Uh, no, 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 no. Hold on. What's five pounds. Average? Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe in 1948. Hmm. Anyway, the Titan 18 has a three M.2 SSD slots. My God, one is PCI five. That's amazing. PCIe gen five, just to be sure. Six speaker audio setup, steel series made mechanical keyboard, new vapor chamber cooler with a slick looking, looking exhaust design. And I guess on the side. looks like around seven and a half pounds is average. Yeah. So this laptop has to be like 15 pounds. Let's take a look. It weighs a shoulder tiring eight pounds. So it weighs as much as it. Yeah, they must have looked it up because it's right on the ball for an eight pound baby. Five grand, though. Mm, I don't know. That's quite That's a machine. That's cheaper than a newborn baby. <laughs> 
Well, I guess. I mean. Well, it depends. What's the lifespan of a laptop? Um, it depends on if you want to be, you know, cream of the crop all the time. So two years. So, yeah. Right. Still cheaper than a newborn. <laughs> I don't know. You can make it. No, never mind. Man, I, there's a joke that I want to crack, but this is how you get demonetized. Not that we're monetized. Anyway, in addition to the usual per key RGB lighting that's been found on most laptops, the Titan's most unique accoutrement um, is a edge to edge illuminated trackpad, this little baby right there. So I wonder if they'll highlight it. Yeah, so this is pretty damn cool. I dig this. Um, but then again, I don't really care for RGB. It doesn't really matter to me. Usually all I want is the device working uh, fast and reliable. 270 watts of power. Wow. Beast mode. All right. Um, let's see here. The new, uh, uh, compared to last year's very formidable Titan GT 77 HX, the 2024 Titan is capable of 270 watts of power output over the GT 77's 250 watts. The Titan 18 also has a bigger display, taller by 0.7 inches, but with a slightly lower refresh rate, 120 versus 144. You know, 120 is pretty damn reasonable for a gaming laptop. 144, eh, all of this really just sucks power. Um, but if you're a gamer, yes, gotta have it. Gotta have it. That's right. New model also has Wi-Fi 7, even though 6 is barely out of the gate. This Wi-Fi 7, by the way, hasn't been confirmed yet. Like it hasn't been, um, what you would call it, um, certified. It hasn't been certified. Um, as far as I know, I'll have to check. Anyway, it's the latest iteration. And what's interesting about this is we're, we're going to end up talking about it in a couple more articles because I included a Wi-Fi 7 um, article. I didn't know that this laptop had it, but... It's right around the corner, even though I'm telling people get Wi-Fi 6, 6E, um, the Wi-Fi 6 is really the, the iteration that everybody should be getting because it's the one that is currently standard and reasonably priced depending on where you go. Uh, anyway, here, let me throw this into the chat. I'm going to start hustling because I think I'm and rambling about this for 10 minutes. Um, and I don't think my transitions are working. Yeah. Sorry, folks. I'm not quite sure why my Steam Deck is... Stream Deck. My Stream Deck has kind of wet the bed. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Hatch Ideas. United Airlines finds loose bolts on multiple Boeing 737 MAX 9 planes. They had been grounded after a panel blew off an Alaska Airlines-operated plane mid-flight on Saturday. They're still looking for the door, as far as I recall. And they have found an iPhone that blew out and survived a 15,000-foot drop. Yeah, I hope Apple is going to use that in marketing. Yeah, really. Um, United Airlines found loose bolts and other installation issues on multiple 737 MAX 9 aircraft 
It said on Monday, referring to the Boeing model that had been grounded after a panel blew off an Alaska Airlines operated plane mid-flight over the weekend. The industry publication Air Current, which I, we probably will not be aggregating, reported that uh, United found uh, discrepant. Discrepant. That's a new one. I'm not sure what a discrepant bolt is. Hmm. Does that mean and, the bolt's there? Does it mean it's not there? Does it mean <laughs> it's kind of wonky? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's a new word to me. Discrepant. If I've ever heard it or used it, it's slipped my mind. But Marimont is getting older. <sighs> anyway, uh, on uh, discrepant bolts on other parts on at least five panels that were being inspected following the accident... Mm. This does not bode well. Uh, aircraft well, model has been ground. Go ahead. Think about all the planes that were in service, like on the day this flight was going, oh, or yeah. the day before. I mean, plus we already saw bolt issues on this model previously, didn't we? Yes. So I'm trying to figure out what it could possibly be. Are the tolerances on the threading between nut and bolt just not accurate enough that this vibration is causing them to slowly but that's why you use lock washers or something else in there like Loctite some type of threading lock that adheres but I guess constant vibration would still cause it to shear at the adhesive the, the lock um, the 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 glue as it were it should just be physically fitted but see and so well, they I'm say kind of thinking vibration is going to happen on an airplane right like you kind of need to account for that yeah it's constantly it and building it yeah exactly um since we began preliminary inspections on saturday we have found instances that appear to relate to installation issues in the door plug for example bolts that needed additional tightening these findings will be remedied by our tech ops team to safely return the aircraft to service. But that, why should it need additional tightening? If it needs additional tightening today, three weeks from now, it needs additional tightening again, if it was tightened properly to spec initially. So what the hell is actually happening with these? And these are not old planes, at least not the one in the recent incident um like it had only been in service for a few months right um just to play catch up dominic rush is the author of this over at theguardian.com who put this article together um they go into greater detail but really we we know that there are now issues with the temporary grounding for checks of bolts and other issues relating to 171 max nine jets 737 max nine jets with a 60 pound panel that detached from a full alaska airlines flight um having talked to a couple other people about this they they were concerned that if this would have vibrated out at 30,000 feet it would have been much much worse because the amount of vacuum there the pressure would have uh, might have deformed that area 
um, depending on how much resistance that door had. Wow. The other yeah. thing that would have been pretty catastrophic is if people were in the seats right next to the blowout, which I understand they were not. Yeah, somebody had their phone sitting on it, it seems, and it got sucked out along with the shirt off the person that was in the seat next to it, I guess. So they grounded the plane. The Boeing CEO, uh, David Calhoun, to, called a company-wide webcast to talk about the incident with employees and senior leadership for Tuesday. That's tomorrow. So I guess we'll see what actually occurs regarding this. But let's keep on trucking through all of these articles. The next article is over in Warcrafters. OpenAI says it's impossible to create ChatGPT without copyrighted content, as if that's somehow a good excuse. This is according to the uh, PC Gamer uh, source here. Just a couple but all of the good content is copyrighted. I mean, what are we going to do? Well, I titled this section, We Can't Be Billionaires If We Pay to Play. <laughs> Just a couple of weeks after being sued by the New York Times over allegations that it copied and used millions of copyrighted news articles to train its large language models, OpenAI has told the UK's House of Lords Communications and Digital Select Committee via The Guardian that it has to use copyrighted materials to build its systems because otherwise they just won't work. Now, here's my, I honestly, I wish that I had a problem with this. Let me throw this into um, the chat though. So here's the hot take. Maybe it's a bad take. This is ephemera. It is not being reconstructed word for word, for word but it's akin to a search engine, except that it has damn near cognitive function. It isn't just doing statistical analysis and outputting the results to a page. It's taking the information of the world, rejiggering it for context, understanding and comprehension and simulating human thought. But it isn't precisely that stuff, but it is a more profound search engine that happens to get drunk, maybe via a previous conversation we were having uh, offline, but we won't talk about that just yet. Um, but then it hallucinates and spits out bullshit. So really, where's the problem here? All it's doing is looking at what's publicly available. And that's what everybody does. Every single human do being does that. So, and then we share that knowledge. You know, if I read something in the New York Times, it's not, I'm not forbidden from going over to a friend and talking to them about the content that I read. In fact, I would probably walk up and say, hey, I learned from the New York Times that blah, 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 that they're suing right. OpenAI. <laughs> or you could read an article and then be inspired to make a painting or whatever. Right. Or write yeah. another article on some other related topic. Right. Or utilize it. Um, to write an article and make reference to it and cite it. Yes. Yes. And add the context to it. Just like we are doing. We do a little bit of value add. This article here is from PC gamer by way of the guardian by way of New York times. So we're all sharing information. We're linking to each other. Now I understand that the LLM isn't linking to it, but that's really a byproduct of policy, but it can't link to directly to dot, 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 
because there isn't anything there that is cited per se. It's just defining the wisdom, the knowledge. Well, that this... and I guess if it had been built that way, maybe they could. Yeah, but that's basically a search engine. It's not regurgitating New York Times content. It's making reference to it. But again, do, do you or I or anybody in the real world sit there and carry around a notepad and say, uh, today on January 8th, I made a reference to the New York Times about them suing uh, OpenAI. And here, let me throw you the citation via my device so that we can have a conversation without violating some copyrighted blah, blah, blah. No, we don't do that. No, unless you're following the NFL's uh, requirements. <laughs> That's right. Superb owls. Um, we don't even talk about that football thing because all we do is watch superb owls. So Andy Chalk, <laughs> I dig the writing from Andy Chalk. Uh, over at PC Gamer, put the article together. The deck statement says, in the face of growing number of lawsuits, OpenAI insists that the use of copyrighted content to train LLMs is fair use. Again, I don't think that it's really a problem per se. Um, and I, I think that it isn't simply because it isn't word for word regurgitation of content. But maybe in my use cases, I'm not running across word for word regurgitation of articles. I liken LLMs to being more elaborate search engines because it understands a greater diversity of context isn't necessarily motiv motivated by profit clicking through to an article. So there's a little bit more nuance here. The four uh, LLMs form the basis of AI systems like OpenAI's ChatGPT chatbot harvest massive amounts of data from online sources in order to quote unquote learn uh, how to function. That's true. That becomes a problem when questions of copyright come into play. But n n we are a product of learning how to function and we do that by reading material and interacting with other humans. Nobody is licensing the material that we are consuming. We're just reading it. It's out in public. If somebody puts a paywall up, people get pissed off and or pay it because they really have no other option. They want that source's information or they go elsewhere. I mean, entire schools are now tired of that shit and going OER, open educational resource. Why? And I'll give you another scenario as to why. Here's this value added context, anecdote, etc., wisdom that we impart in our shows. I paid $400 per book for two books while I was getting a master's degree in information security. And guess what? because I'd already been in the industry longer than six months, I never even cracked those books open. And then if you sold them, I'm assuming you made pennies on 40 the bucks was the offer. So instead I actually donated it to a student that I knew couldn't afford it. And boom, they got the 40 bucks because they too didn't need to crack the damn book open. No, I don't know exactly. And I'll give you another one. 
the, the copyright is so expensive, right? That to own the copyrighted work is so expensive. Another textbook scenario. I paid 150 bucks for a book that inside the book, the bookstore that sold it to me left the buyback receipt from the previous student, 150 bucks, right? I paid for the book. They were given 15. Oh, wow. I mean, what a markup. So yeah. Multiple my shiny times too, if yes. it keeps getting resold. Yeah. Right. And that's why colleges around the world are sitting there going, now there's so much wisdom out there. So much knowledge. Let's just use something that's open source and free and you know, the professors are subject matter experts and can give context to publicly available information, things like that. It, it's silly. Um, so, but in this case, all it's doing is parsing a bunch of information and uh, assessing it for context and then uh, spinning it in a blender and outputting some more information, but really if they have instances where it is wholesale cloning what is said in New York times, then yeah, you know, light them up if it's not being cited. And we know from experience that there's no citations. So start citing it. I mean, we have, it's the 21st century. You have the ability to embed cita source citations. It might keep a few people from losing their law license. Right. Or out of jail for it might. But, <laughs> It might, right? <laughs> um, and then there's this other one, and it's not all, the only one taking issue with that approach. A group of 17 authors, including John Grisham and George R. R. Martin, filed a lawsuit in uh, 2023, accusing it of uh, systematic uh, theft on a mass scale. Yeah, I mean, this is the same thing that happened with music. This is just the book version of it. There wasn't really a piracy version of books, even though it was just as bad as music for crying out loud. Back in the day, people were pirating books like nobody's business, but it was on news groups, the old uh, NNTP news groups. Um, and, and it was wild back in the day. I mean, you could get anything almost instantly from textbooks to just entertainment. Um, same thing with music and stuff like that. It was just really gross, but the only one that really got any traction was music and movies. Anyway, the principle that training AIs is permitted as a fair use is supported by a wide range of academics, uh, library associations, civil society, uh, civil society groups, startups, leading us companies, creators, authors, and others that recently submitted comments to the U S copyright office, other regions and countries, including the European union, Japan, Singapore, Israel, also have laws that permit training models on copyrighted content an advantage for AI innovation, advancement and investment. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a disparity between one side and, and the other. So one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist and the AI is uh, affords so much potential, but well, there's also, I don't know, there's mega companies that are involved and then there's small players and obviously the concerns might be different from from different size entities. 
my problem is that it's not it's not consuming it it is scanning information and then rejiggering it it's reconstituting in a in a completely different way it isn't that it was going to be a buyer to consume the material for entertainment purposes and it's not even producing it for entertainment purposes so to speak you know not in the real sense of entertainment it isn't spinning then again again maybe i'm missing something where everybody out there is running across um basically reiteration of something that was already written it says we build ai to empower people including journalists our position on the at new york times lawsuit training is fair use but we provide an opt-out um and i guess that's okay because every other business and and i'm sure they're you know even the writer's mailing distribution list is opt out um you sign up to be a, a part of their fan club and it's an opt out because you're going to get their mailer uh, regurgitation is a rare bug we're driving to zero so regurgitation actually is the word that they use to describe what i was describing which was cloning what was said in a book so the New York Times is not telling the full story, and then they provide a link. Uh, but I'm is not going to. Is that a quote from OpenAI? Uh, that appears to be a a, a quote from OpenAI. Yeah. Oddly, it's not real clear there. Yeah, the only place that it says it is that link right there. There's a link. It says uh, Twitter.com/slash/OpenAI status, and then it gives the direct link um, ID. So yeah, this is directly from OpenAI. So they know that there's regurgitation. That's the actual term that they use. Um, but I guess the question is, what's the extent of it? I mean, I know regurgitation is a problem, period. Right. But what if it's, you know, 50%? Well, that's obviously a little different than it happens one out of every billion searches or whatever. Yeah, and if they're working to eliminate regurgitation, and they by the way they, i don't think that they really get into the idea of regurgitation until the bottom of the article so definitely go over there and check it out read it and uh, then come on back and talk to us about it because um this is going to be something that is this is the equivalent of the uh, movies and and music piracy of a decade or two decades ago for crying out loud wow longer than that longer oh than that i was gonna say maybe 30 years three or four decades ago yeah jeez. Yeah, okay well i need to move on otherwise i'm going to start crying uh the next article is over in the warcrafter channel unity is laying off 25 percent of its workforce in what it's calling a company reset it should be called disunity after laying off 600 people and closing multiple offices earlier in the year last year, engine maker Unity warned in November 2023 that further layoffs were likely. Well, it waited until Christmas um, in the new year to usher in 2024 by firing another 25% of its workforce. Yay! Happy New Year! But it's a company reset. Don't worry, folks. Um, glad you came. I love the terminology. Yeah. Right? A reset. What does it's that so, feel like to the person losing their job and their income? Yeah, it's sociopathic, right? Like, hey, we're we're doing a company reset. You don't have to come in ever. 
All right. This is the fourth round of layoffs over the past year, according to Reuters report, and will be the largest ever at Unity. Approximately 1,800 people will be put out of work by the layoffs, which Unity said will impact all teams, regions, and business operations, I suppose. Ooh, it's equal opportunity firing. Yeah, except that, well, I don't know. You know, I'm sure. Maybe that, not at all strata, right? Like the C-suite. Yeah, I'm sure that the the board is really just, oh, just crushing. They're they are just weeping, and they're they're using hundred dollar bills to dab their tears away. Don't do that though. There's a thing called a dollar mite that actually is on U.S. currency. Yeah, it's really gross. Um, anyway, Ch uh, Andy Chalk over at PC Gamer put the article together. It, it just seems, I don't know. It's gross. It's sociopathic. Um, but now don't get me wrong. I've been in charge of, well, subjectively, I guess, uh, large organizations where I've had to hire and fire people. Um, it is a pain point. I don't like having to let people go. It's usually not because I've flubbed the performance of the operation though <laughs> it's usually because they've done something stupid and it requires their expulsion uh, because you can't fix necessarily the liability that was created but laying off 1800 people because your runway is now shorter why don't you perform better Yeah, I think there's definitely a distinction in firing somebody because of poor conduct or poor performance. Right. Um, Their poor just performance, not my business. Right, right, right. Exactly. The person. Yeah. So why isn't the C right here, right? They were forced to resign, but why did it get to that point? Why did somebody in there go, you know what, what you're about to do is a great idea. No, they changed the licensing and upended the entire integrity of unity. Now I've been told that unity is apparently doing fine, but that is at odds with what we are witnessing today. Maybe they are in terms of their profits or something. Well, that's kind of what this article says. Um, roughly 1,800 people are being put out of work, but hey, at least the share price is going up. Thank you, Andy Chalk, my spirit animal over at PCGamer.com. <laughs> um, so they had flipped the switch on a runtime fee. I actually don't allow the communication to go out to Unity to, um, like, unless I... So I'm really into security. I don't, I'm not, again, I'm not picking a fight with anybody out there to sit there and prove me wrong about how bad my security is or how good it is. But I'm just saying that I, I don't like my computer communicating with places. So when I run a game and it wants to reach out to something, I don't allow it unless I want it to. Um, so if unity is sitting there pinging out, sharing telemetry, I don't really like that. I, I don't want that happening. Um, but this was weird because every time you install it, it would recharge developers. Even though you installed it once before, when you reinstall it, it's going to reach out and, and ping the ticker again and they get dinged. The, 
it was so stupid. Well, so, it wasn't so stupid if you were on the receiving end of the revenue, but it didn't make any sense. But I think this is the same numbskull that tried to uh, force um, some um, shooter game where you had to buy bullets with real money. Oh, yes, I think so. Yeah, so it was like Call of Duty or something like that. And he wanted to have people have to pay real money to get bullets. Yeah, so stupid. Anyway, this is all because they effed around and this is the find out phase. And unfortunately, the only people that are really finding out about executive screw up are the 1800 people that are being put out of work. So good luck on them to get another job. Um, hopefully they had a golden parachute. Oh no, I'm sorry. They're not the CEO. Never mind. Let's go on to the next article. This one's over in Reality Hacker. Uh, Wi-Fi 7 launches promising near zero latency for wireless VR. Well, this sounds exciting, but will people actually be able to avail themselves of it? Uh, eventually, yes. Um, the Wi-Fi Alliance announced today that Wi-Fi 7 certified products are ready to hit the market. So, ta-da, it is certified. The latest version of the Wi-Fi standard promises the possibility of near zero latency for real-time applications like wireless VR streaming. Hey, my Pico just actually started dancing. Um, <laughs> the Wi-Fi Alliance, the organization that maintains and develops the Wi-Fi standard announced today that application product or applicable products uh, can officially be Wi-Fi 7 certified and be sold as such. So I guess I'm going to be updating my uh, Wi-Fi hotspots, uh, my, my access points all throughout the mayoral mansion, uh, AKA uh, Wi-Fi seven, AKA 802.11BE. The spec delivers the usual improvements you'd expect, like improved speed and transmission, but the Alliance also calls out improved latency. So the problem with latency, if you have something that has greater latency, it is slower in the communication it it's delayed so if you count to one the person on the other side may not hear one at the same time as you hear one back so you're never really syncing up and so you have to impart delay so that you have matched latency so it's kind of on newscasts yes yeah and that's basically what it is so like you'll do something and then your character will move or you'll say something and then somebody will respond to it, but much greater in time as opposed to like the stream has latency right now of like uh, two seconds or something like that. It can be quite long, uh, but latency is typically measured in milliseconds. Um, and you can't have that in VR because it causes you to get motion sickness because you jump around um, or you or frustration because you, you die. Um, but that increased or I should say that decreased latency or increased efficiency is going to be spectacular. Um, but it basically means that you're going to have to upgrade your equipment and not everything is Wi-Fi 7 capable. Um, because it is a different standard. Um, and I'm kind of bummed that it is actually happening now because 
I just prodded somebody into adding Wi-Fi 6 to their mayoral compound. And um, now I'm going to have to send an update. <laughs> hey, install this one. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, the article is over at Road to VR. Ben Lang is the author. Near zero latency for Wi-Fi 7 technology out there. That's going to be spectacular. I'm going to love this. Love this. Um, oh, I was in a meeting with somebody who um, started yelling at their uh, kid because they had turned on their microwave. And because microwaves typically operate in the 2.4 gigahertz range, it kills their Wi-Fi. So they dropped out of the meeting. <laughs> like you could hear them. You could hear them yelling, turn that off. And then it died. <laughs> okay. That's pretty dramatic. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. And then they came back and they're like, Hey, this is what happened. I'm like, oh, okay. Not a big deal. Um, so the Wi-Fi Alliance also says that Wi-Fi seven allows for deterministic latency, which could allow wireless VR to handle better or better handle situations where there is latency. Uh, basically figure out what's causing the latency and then uh, anticipate so that it uh, reduces the overall appearance of latency, even though it's still there. It's kind of like bisecting the corner so that you can get to uh, the destination, even though you still made the distance. Um, pretty neat. And uh, can't wait to see some new equipment coming out from... Uh, uh, switch and and router and uh, AP and other network um, technology companies. Yeah, basically new every two applies to everything. Every two years, you basically have to update everything and you have to treat it like crop rotation because one year is your watch, one year is your phone, one year is an access point, one year is your switch in the basement, then you have to do the firewall. Um, by the time you do that, you got to update everything again. You just do it all over Something else again. has been updated. <laughs> yep. So every five years, you basically get a new firewall. Um, and between the firewall purchases, you're updating iPad, laptop, watch, monitor, blah, blah, blah. Um, luckily, I have a high threshold for this stuff. So I'm not always updating. Like I've got a bunch of monitors and there's I'm not interested in 144 hertz right now. Just just give me is that not your magic uh hertz no. zone no that's not no because i'm not a hardcore gamer you want the high frequency refresh so that you can get more information in your eyeballs but wi-fi 7 with my vr headset i'll take ze near zero latency anytime it makes it just much more immersive okay let's keep on going though uh, you know what? I lied. Let's go back so that I can grab this URL and throw it into the... Well, you were ready to go forward, but the links weren't. Yeah. And my my latency didn't get predicted <laughs> here. So the next article is over in Technology Today. This Wi-Fi toothbrush talks you into being a better brusher. Now, I have seen... What's the plural for toothbrushes? Is it Latin? So it's toothbrush eye or most definitely, <laughs> or is it just toothbrushes? 
or tooth's brush. Mm, that's definitely the best one. Yeah. So this toothbrush features modes tailored for specific needs, an interactive screen for instant feedback, an AI voice that gives you tips to improve your technique. And you want to know the wackiest part about this? It we haven't it, hit the wackiest part. <laughs> we have not. It's Wi-Fi enabled, is a smart toothbrush, and it uses bone conduction to speak to you while you're brushing. Okay, you know what that's making me think of? Hmm. Real genius. Oh, <laughs> it is God. <laughs> Kent, you know you're not supposed to park your car on campus. If you've never seen Real Genius, go watch Real Genius. Epic movie. 80s movie, but you can't go wrong. Um, so the, uh, article is over at CNET. I don't know if there is a name because it's part of their, uh, coverage of CES. Um, but I went through this thing. It is a Wi-Fi toothbrush that talks you through being a better brusher, not into being, but through it because it tells you technique. Hey, you need to brush at this rate. You need to angle it this way. You need to affirm pressure. You know, it's pretty spectacular and then it gives you data on your phone you actually like, create an account you did not do a good job brushing today or whatever right. <laughs> yeah hey we detected halitosis yeah mm. so it, <laughs> there's a it's a full-on video over at cnet so follow the link through hometown it takes you right to this particular video um, but they have a bunch of videos um but yeah, we're not going to go through the whole video. Go and check it out. Um, you won't go wrong. Okay, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Chemists warn bottled water 100 times worse for plastic than thought. Not for plastic, though. I, I, I don't know why they phrase it this way. Water tested from water bottled water was found to contain 240,000 plastic particles per liter on average, scientists warn. So you remember, now it's been a couple of years that I've mentioned it, that I had been trying to look into a way to discover these microplastics and do the assessment myself because uh, I, I wasn't seeing it in science. Well, somebody did yes. it before me. And I had always assumed that bottled water, just like other containers that are closed up and flexible, would impart their microplastics in greater quantities. And it wouldn't leach out anywhere because it's just self-contained. It's just breaking off into the water and then you drink it. Right. So it might be like the worst environment for microplastics as compared to other things. Correct. Yep. So like if it's just sitting, a plastic bottle can break down in water and it'll leach out into the soil, it'll leach out into the water and then into the drain and then out into the ocean or into processing plants and it might be picked up through filtration. But a water bottle off the shelf <laughs> is sitting there being bent and cracked and it's heating and cooling and flexing and all of this garbage. And it's getting, it's basically an aquarium, a Petri dish for microplastics because you can't get the microplastics out. You don't even know they're there. Um, and so I'd been trying to find a way. And one of the ways was variable light 
um, like a UV or some other exotic IR kind of a thing so that you could see them. But to do that, you need a dark field microscope to see the actual microplastics fluorescing in a dark field microscope. That basically means that um, it's a different way of uh, sending light through the uh, optics of the microscope. Um, and I don't have that microscope. And so I could never facilitate it. And then I see this article um, because I had been frustrated by it. But this is a Newsweek article. Um, and it says chemists warn bottled water 100 times worse for plastic than thought. Um, Pandora Dewan, uh, again, great name, but I swear it just applies. Um, every time I read an article from Pandora Dewan, it, it's like opening Pandora's box. Microplastics refer to any plastics that are smaller than five millimeters, 0.2 inches long. I'm this is quite large 0.2 inches long long is quite large for microplastics but it's yeah i didn't any, think microplastics were that large oh no they are but the thing about it is microplastics break down further into nanoplastics and those are the ones that are being found in human biology tissue um as well as microplastics but these are the ones that get deeper into your system so these nanoplastics are so tiny that they can pass through our intestines and lungs and directly into our bloodstreams and travel through our bodies into our vital organs, including our hearts and brains. <laughs> so the, uh, the sentient AI just kind of froze for a second there. Um, you, you doing okay over there? The, the stunned silence mean that you're trying to wrap your head around this or. Well, I am, and then I there was a there was actually an audio lag on my end. But the thing I was really confounded by was the everybody consumes a credit card's worth of plastic. Mm. Like that's kind of a lot of plastic. So uh, a credit card's worth of plastic. Mmm, that's that's pretty yummy. In the past, researchers have shown bottled water can contain tens of thousands of identifiable plastic fragments in a single container. However, until recently, only the larger microplastics were detectable with available measuring tools. So it's not just been my struggle, it's been industry struggle, um, researcher struggle. The realm of the microplastics was largely a mystery. Previously, this was just a dark area, uncharted. Toxicity studies were just guessing what's in there. Uh, Bejan Yan, uh, an environmental chemist at Columbia University's Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, said in a statement in a new paper published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, Yan and colleagues provided or employed cutting edge technology to assess the uncharted territory. This opens a window where we can look into a world that was not exposed to us before. Um, using a technique called Raman scattering microscopy, which let me verify, this might actually be what I was trying to get to. I'm doing it live. Do, 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 do. Uh, multi-photon microscopy technique based on Raman active vibrational modes of molecules. Um, if I have 
You know, when I have loads of molecules, I definitely prefer the Raban method. <laughs> uh, you troublemaker. Um, yeah, it's hard. It, and it's hard for me to explain this um, uh, quickly, but yeah, it's it's basically a higher level of microscopy, multi-photon microscopy technique. Um, yeah, it's pretty neat. Coherent Raman scattering is based on, and then it just keeps on kind of talking about it. It's using lasers. Lasers, always lasers. So uh, the technique, the team were able to use, or to they use this technique to measure an average of 240,000 particles of plastic in each liter of bottled water, 90% of which were nanoplastics. This is 10 to 100 times larger than previous estimates. They likely originate from the bottle material filters used to purify the water and then the source water itself. And that's what I was telling you about uh, the other day when we were talking about this, that it's, it isn't that they, they tested before they tested pieces of equipment but the material that transferred it from one place to another imparted microplastics or nanoplastics. And hence you end up with the contamination in the end product, but you can't test for it until now. Exactly. And I suspect something like a plastic water bottle is like the perfect is in not perfect environment in terms of it's probably maximizing the microplastics. Yep. It's basically just keeping it all in. You can't filter it out. And even the filter itself might contribute because it uses something akin to like nylon or plastic to act as a filter. Um, you can use like felt filters. Um, one of the uh, companies that I use for one of the products in development actually uses felt that is when it's not for my particular use, it can be used as a filter and it's completely natural. Um, it has no plastics involved in it. So it's, it is more appropriate, except that it's wildly expensive to be used as a waste catcher. So, well, it's either that or you get, you know, <laughs> pelted with micro nanoplastics. I mean Right. I mean, what are the alternatives? And I mean, it seems like a good trade-off in terms of not ingesting microplastics, but. Yep. What do you do? Well, what I recommend to people is to switch to either metal, um, i.e. aluminum, which has its own issues because sometimes they're actually coated, um, with a plastic liner, um, of sorts or some type of resin that can is plastic spaced um or you just use glass it's non-reactive for most things uh, if not all things um and although you do have to be a little bit more aware it's safer for you and infinitely recyclable so i say switch <clears throat> you know i i we use hydro flask here in hometown um and uh, switching more and more to uh, glass containers because they aren't breaking off little micro glass. 
simply through heating and, and uh, cooling. And that heating and cooling and flexing is what is causing microplastics and nanoplastics to contaminate so much. So, all right, enough of this. Let's keep on going. The next article is over in Law Nerd. These North Carolina paralegals are suing for the limited right to practice law. Well, that's interesting. Right? So, um, I am not an attorney. I am not your attorney, even if I was an attorney, nor is the sentient AI your attorney. And therefore, we advise you to go speak to an attorney. I will admit, though, that I've gone through paralegal training um, and I have a degree in pre-law, so paralegal. But are you are you in North Carolina, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm in hometown. Um, so which is, uh, if you want to know exactly where hometown is, it is somewhere on the internet at a confluence of electrical wires. We are the nexus, that bit of resistance. That's hometown. Come and visit anytime you want to just go to hometown.com. Uh, should you really need to pass the bar to be able to help someone file for divorce? Probably not. You, I, you do have to be an attorney to navigate the minutia of divorce because it can be extremely tedious um, and conflicted all over the place. So Chris Williams over at Above the Law put this article together. The deck statement said, should you really need to pass the bar to be able to help someone file for divorce? Probably not. There are two main hurdles for the average person getting legal assistance. Not only is it complicated, but it tends to be expensive. The first prong is inherent in the field, but an easy solution to the latter prong could be uh, getting help from the professionals who often work at lawyer sides, paralegals exclamation point. So, um, I, I guess I'll kind of crush myself a little bit by saying that we're budget lawyers. Right. Anybody who can be called a paralegal. See, now the thing about or the people doing the real world work. Yeah, right. And that's true. Uh, the amount of work that paralegals do um, is tremendous. And then it's verified. And through agency, it becomes the work product of the uh, law firm, not just at a different billable rate and then blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's a bunch of complications, but anyway, um, paralegals do a tremendous amount of work and they follow the same ethical compass that attorneys do. Um, and depending on where the paralegal is, they're getting more and more, um, development of standardized practice. So they basically go through like a mini bar kind of thing, except I can't use that term because there is an actual mini bar, um, that can get you into law school. Um, but the idea of a paralegal is that you send a paralegal off to do legal research, to do interviews like, um, debriefs and stuff. Um, you have them file paperwork and do all kinds of stuff, but they can't practice law. Everything has to filter through the attorney, um, in terms of work product that gets presented as 
legal advice. So what's going on here? So two North Carolina paralegals have filed a federal lawsuit claiming that the state's prohibition of unauthorized practice of law violates the first amendment and asking the court to allow them to step in and ameliorate the state's legal desserts by offering um, services at a cheaper price than expensive lawyers would. Okay, wait a second. Do these paralegals work for attorneys? Interesting, right? Because if they're going to be charging a lower rate, they're actually charging a lower rate at the firm, which is not set up by some arbitrary uh, paralegal. Right, and they're also advocating against the work of their own firm and concepts. Uh, right. I just, I wonder what their status is. Like, are they off on their own? Well, if they're not unemployed, they are now. And I can't imagine them getting employed since they're championing, you know, debilitating. <laughs> right, they're like a fundamental concept of law. And they're kind of like, eh. <laughs> yeah, let, let's nix the law firm. So it says, now, before you get on your soapbox about how paralegals and AI will make it so uh, proper lawyers will be out of a job, you should know that these paralegals aren't fighting for the right to hang a shingle or anything. Okay, so that answers your question. Um, the plaintiffs filed a complaint in federal court in North Carolina that said the state courts give unrepresented litigants online forums for summary uh, ejectments, absolute divorces, and protective orders, forms that are not complicated, but that can still be confusing. And so the author of this article says, I was on board with this before we even got to the free speech component of the suit. It isn't like this is dangerous. You can give a guy a gun and qualified immunity after a few months of training. But paralegals helping someone with a restraining order is where we draw the line. Come on. So they're basically saying that they should be able to assist. Uh, I don't know if this is a free speech thing because telling somebody how to fill out the form isn't practicing law. The person next to you can tell you how to fill out the form because they have experience. Exactly. I guess the difference is that the paralegal probably can't do it officially, right? Because then right. they look like they're being an attorney. But if they were the person's cousin or something, not right. my cousin Vinny, they could uh, help them with the form. I think what should probably shake out from this is designating certain forms as being non-legally the same as practicing law literally That's tag the on solution. them right yeah, yeah. interesting because right? i think if they did that then then they would avoid all these bigger issues right i don't see that this goes anywhere because it's going to just completely disrupt the whole industry but the point about the access to um resources and everything is a good one yeah I agree. The free speech thing, I think that component kicks in simply because they're paralegals, they're tied to a law firm and they can't even talk to somebody because being a paralegal, it was, it's like me being a dive master. If I say to somebody that I'm a dive master, I'm instantly on the hook. Um, and then I end up in trouble. So if something happens while on a dive, um, so yeah, I, I, I get that it, it can be a free speech issue. 
Huh. Interesting. I also find it interesting because I'm thinking of like in a medical profession, somebody like a nurse can't do all the same things that a doctor can do, but they kind of know that going into the field. And right. that's what I assume is going on here too. But I also of, think the free speech is like a way to draw more attention to it. Right. Right. But there used to be just the nurse and the doctor. And now there's like 15 levels of nurse That's true. and then the doctor. And they all have various levels of liability and accountability and access. Well, maybe that's what you need here too, because right now it's a very, very arcane uh, communication at the attorney level. Paralegals have this tendency to be without pissing off a lot of attorneys, hopefully uh, paralegals have the ability to talk to people without going into the, well, maybe kind of paragraph, right? Cause if you ask somebody, Hey, is it okay to slam my door? And they go, well, maybe. And then they tell you how all of the legal uh, implications of slamming a door while somebody is too near, but not too near. And maybe it's going to be considered assault, but no, man, I'm just closing the damn door. Anyway, this is a really interesting situation. And uh, I, honestly, I, I wish that it weren't true that it would disrupt, but flagging forms as just being paralegal um, deployable or um, usable or whatever um, would be great. I mean, we even have people that verify the identity of somebody, right? Uh, what do you call them? The, they do the little stamp, damn it. Like a notary? Yeah, a notary public, right? We have those people that are specially trained to perform that function. A paralegal can be the notary. <laughs> um, so why do we have the strata broken out? Why not just assign the form and then anything that has this mark on it, the a paralegal can facilitate and you don't need an attorney to sit there and go yeah okay because it's going to be yep, yeah put okay. your name in block one yeah exactly who who helped oh and i've run across forms like that if you're filling this out on behalf of somebody put your name here it's like taxes and stuff um so hey whatever let's see what happens we'll monitor this and keep going okay so the next article is over in uh technology today belkin's Stand Pro iPhone dock uses Apple's dock kit to track you around the room. So nothing says creepy like a little pivoting whatever with your phone. No, actually, I kind of Is it of following you with eyes or lights? <laughs> you have to put googly eyes on it and then it's following you. Man, my iPhone stand just keeps watching me. I don't get it. Oh, it's a little bit more exactly what I'm talking about than... <laughs> It really is. Okay. So Belkin's Stand Pro iPhone dock uses Apple's dock kit to track you around a room. Announced at CES 2024, the $180 iPhone accessory is the first to use the new framework. This is uh, written by Steve Dent over at Engadget.com. And um, yeah, it's actually pretty, pretty chill. I mean, it looks like a big, like a chonky thing. Um, but it can pivot and rotate 
The stand uses a motorized swivel 360 degrees around its base while tilting up 90 degrees to the MagSafe arm or on the MagSafe arm. Once you attach an iPhone 12 or newer, it pairs to the base via NFC and works with any camera app, including FaceTime, Instagram, Microsoft Teams, <laughs> Microsoft. Okay. Anyway, I'll leave it alone. Uh, then when you are on a conference call or doing social media, it'll automatically move the phone around to keep you in frame, much like DJI's Osmo Pocket 3, which is much smaller than this. So is that really good for like content creators or something like they're making some sort of active video? Correct. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that there's other things in here, like the software is able to not not the Belkin software, but your camera software has the ability to assess if you're giving hand. There's certain cameras that you can do hand gestures and provoke or a, a zoom or a, a different mode or all kinds of stuff, really. Um, so it would be interesting to see what this is fully capable of. But um, <laughs> hey, look, that looks familiar. Um, so the. Uh, oh, it's also a charger and supports up to 15 watts wireless fast charging when plugged into a wall. It can also run on battery power for about five hours of use. It's easy to disable tracking via a button so that it doesn't follow you around like a lunatic when you have to charge when you just want to charge. And an LED shows whether tracking is currently active. So I dig this thing. So one of the problems that I have uh, streaming is that I've got a camera that's right there. Um, but what I really want is to be able to put that camera right there on my monitor. Yeah, I'm pointing at the camera. You, that's rude. I'm supposed to. I did not. I thought you were pointing at me. No, you. Yes, you. You, you, and you. Up there is you. But you are right there. So um, the uh, this thing is pretty cool. I dig this. Um, but what I want is to do this, but with a smaller little micro camera that sits right on my display so I can look at the camera and, and right now I'm looking at my monitor, but it looks, it, it looks like I'm looking at my monitor when I really want to look at the camera. So, um, and I thought I saw something like this recently and I've been looking for it since, but I have an idea how to. Uh, execute on this, but we'll see. Maybe I'll find uh, what I thought was a previous iteration of this little micro camera sitting right there. We'll see. Anyway, um, Belkin released this during CES. Um, here in Omtown, we use these. Uh, the $180 Stand Pro isn't the first motorized tracker out there, as the colleague Richard Lai pointed out. And it certainly isn't the cheapest. However, Belkin claims it's the first to integrate Bel uh, Apple's dock kit developer SDK. So we may see similar products in the future. The product is now on Belkin's store, but there's no word yet on availability. So if you're going to pre-order it, da -dum -dum, then they got a bunch of other stuff and it bleeds into another article. So follow the link through hometown and you will get sent right to this article. You'll be able to suss out some more. Um, but let's keep on going. We have one more article for today, and that is everything. 
CES 2024. I'm not going to go through this whole list, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw it into the chat and you can check it out. We could be here till next CES That's uh, right. if you went through every detail, I'm sure. Uh, true. And so it says here, one of the year's biggest tech events has kicked off in Las Vegas and we're here to bring all of the reveals before the show floor opens. But boom, Christine Hall uh, put this article together here today, right before the show um, prep ended like uh we we start assessing at around six o'clock um eastern and um so ces 2024 is here uh, again christine hall over at techcrunch.com put this article together and uh, like i said i'm not going to go through the whole thing but kia's new modular ev van lineup if i don't get 400 miles to an ev charge i'm not interested that's me not them um Samsung brings back Bali, renews green initiative. I guess this little projector kind of a thing. Samsung, uh, Samsung electronics home robot, which it previewed today, size of a bowling ball with a battery designed to last about two to three hours. Bali sports a spatial LIDAR, um, which is the basically room scanning technology. Um, your phone has it and uh, a sensor to help navigate rooms and obstacles as well as a 1080p projector with two lenses and allows the robot to project movies and video calls even act as a second pc monitor all right that's pretty badass i like that the x1 interpreter hub a new real-time translator so a more robust solution designed for meetings. Time Kettle calls it the world's first multi-language simultaneous interpretation system. So this is getting um, Star Trekky. LG's transparent television. That's pretty cool. Wait, okay, that's the neatest one so far. The problem with transparent TVs is you see the shit behind it, and I'm not interested in that. Why would you want that? Why does that make sense? Maybe it's for me when you're not using it. Oh, or like right. if it has a screensaver or something. <laughs> yeah, so you put it right up against the wall so that you can see it better when it's not in use. I have no idea. Also called a TV. So uh, breathe easy with bioengineered house plants. A French startup Neo Plants. That's dangerously close to Neopets. Mm -hmm. is showing off its progress with its house plants that work as air purifiers designed for the home the bioengineered plants can according to the company replace 20 regular house plants regular house plants you're not a real house plant unless you're a bioengineered house plant this is the kind of thing that like kudzu as something that reaches out and kills you is born from this bioscience I'm just teasing. I'm really into this kind of stuff. But anyway, as measured by how many pollutants the plant can remove from the air. So these are bioengineered air purifier plants, neo plants. Uh, more from Samsung, bigger, foldier, more rollable displays. Look how thin these displays are getting. Way far thin. That's ridiculous. Transparent micro LED display for the first time was shown. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. NVIDIA gets its game on. 
Uh, today, NVIDIA gets into artificial intelligence in a big way, unveiling its GeForce RTX, including the GeForce RTX 40 Super series of desktop graphics cards. I haven't looked at the price, but according to this, it says the RTX 4080 Super starts at $1,000. I don't see how that's going to enter the market at $1,000 because I'm still looking at getting a 40 series card, but everything I see is $2,000 plus dollars. Right, so, so how could this possibly be lower than that? Is this one of these like where it's starting car price, but you know you're going to walk out for quite a bit more? Yeah, I don't even know how they're pricing it at $1,000. Because their 4080 series cards aren't even priced at $1,000. It's higher than that. Uh, the 4090 is, pardon me, the 4090 is, but the 4080 is, this is actually high for the 4080. The 4090 is like two thousand dollars nowadays so bosch's uh in-car eye tracking uh not the tv show the company so bosch is showing off two technologies eye tracking while driving one will see that you have tired eyes and ask that you need an espresso uh, when you arrive home yes it's a connect technology we'll tell your fancy machine to have one ready um, the other is a bit more complicated in that it's developed to track what you're looking at as you drive. So creepy. Um, smart cooking chat GPT in Volkswagen. Apple Vision Pro goes on sale February 2nd. That was an article that I kind of nixed from the presentation tonight. Um, and a whole bunch more. So CES is this week and I will be keeping an eye out for new and interesting technology and articles in the meantime. Follow the links that are in the show notes here in the VOD over in the podcast over on YouTube. In fact, just go and hang out over in hometown.com. Uh, so get back into the party bus, drive all the way back downtown. Welcome to hometown. I'd click this button, but I think I scrubbed a couple of things early on. We'll see. I know that there were a couple of things that were mentioning a name that by the way, only when that name is present do I get in trouble. Very interesting how the algorithms work. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it, folks. Hometown Daily for January 8th, 2024 is done. We outie. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that... It's going to say bye... What, what do you want to do? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Was there more? Yeah, don't forget to check out on YouTube uh, our new shows, Reality Hacker and Continuity Report. And on the video under the end on Twitch.